This is Barry Zalma, Zalma on Insurance. I am an attorney retired from the practice of law and now spend my time as an insurance claims consultant, expert witness, author, and producer of these videos. Today I'd like to talk about the duties of the public insurance adjuster. Most policyholders do not have the in-house capability to investigate, evaluate, and negotiate significant property insurance losses and claims. While some losses, such as a small fire loss requiring only minor repairs, may be dealt with easily, others which involve more complex damages and different potential causes of loss are much harder to assess. Resolving them may require expertise in understanding the scope of coverage provided by an applicable property insurance policy, scientific or specialized background to determine the cause of a specific loss, the ability to determine the cost to repair or replace the damaged property, and the calculation of the amount of time of a time element such as a business interruption loss, a uh, additional living expense loss or claim, and similar losses. In such cases, the policyholder may engage a public insurance adjuster, a PA. PAs are licensed by almost every state and their contract forms must be approved by the state's Department of Insurance. All PAs claim to be experts on property loss adjustment. Most are. They represent only policyholders in fulfilling the duty to prepare, file, and adjust insurance claims. The PA should handle every detail of the claim working closely with the policyholder and the insurer to obtain a prompt and reasonable settlement. PAs usually charge a contingency fee, which they present to the insured as a fait accompli, but the fee is and every insured should understand that it is negotiable. The insured should try to lower it as much as possible. For a major loss, more than one PA will arrive at the site seeking a contract. A fee quoted by one can be reduced by seeking lower fees from the others. Rates can be negotiated from as low as 3% to as high as 40% although the average charge is in the 10 to 15% range. When considering a PA, the insured must take into account the fact that even if the insurer pays the full amount of the loss, the cost of the PA's fee may not leave enough funds to fully repair the damaged structure. Upon being retained, the professional PA should one immediately inspect the law site, usually with the insurer's adjuster or the insurer's expert. Two, analyze damages. Three, assemble the necessary support for the presentation of the claim. 
4. Review the coverage to determine the portions of the loss which are covered. 5. Assess the value of the loss. And 6. Negotiate with the insurance company to reach the end result favorable to both the insured and the insurer. States like California license and regulate public insurance adjusters. Their contracts are subject to approval by the insurance departments in the states in which they operate. For example, in the state of Michigan, a public insurance adjuster is required to apply for and obtain a license through the Department of Insurance and Financial Services prior to representing any insureds who have suffered losses covered by insurance for fire or other hazards. This is MCL 500.1222. In Texas, Chapter 4102 expressly prohibits a person from acting as a public insurance adjuster in Texas without a license. A person may not act as a public insurance adjuster in Texas or hold himself or herself out to be a public insurance adjuster in the state unless the person holds a license issued by the commissioner. The term person is defined as including a corporation and a public insurance adjuster is a person who, for direct, indirect, or any other compensation acts on behalf of an insured in negotiating for or effecting the settlement of a claim or claims while acting as a public insurance adjuster and also includes advertising, soliciting business, and holding oneself out to the public as an adjuster of claims. A licensed public insurance adjuster is expressly prohibited from participating directly or indirectly in the reconstruction, repair, or restoration of damaged property that is the subject of a claim adjusted by the license holder. Acting as a public insurance adjuster and a contractor at the same claim is a statutory statutorily defined conflict of interest. The public adjuster contract is technically an assignment of a portion of policy proceeds due to the policyholder from the insurer. To protect the ability to be paid, the assignment gives the PA ownership of a percentage of any claims payment. And that percentage, of course, is negotiable, and it is important to both the PA and to the insured hiring the PA that the percentage is reasonable in all points, depending on the extent of the loss and the amount of work expected to be conducted by the PA. Usually when a PA is involved, the insurer's settlement payments will name both the insured and the public adjuster. The validity of a post-loss assignment has been approved by most states, including the Pennsylvania Supreme Court in a case called Egger v. Gulf Insurance Company from 2006. Although the judgment did 
not involve a first-party case in applied law that has been adopted in other states. Similarly, an Insurance Adjustment Bureau versus Allstate Insurance Company, a Pennsylvania decision from 2006, the policyholder's house suffered a serious fire loss, and the policyholders retained Insurance Adjustment Bureau as their public adjuster. The contract called for a fee to IAB of 10% of any recovery plus expenses. IAB sued Allstate because it did not receive the check with its name on it. It did not sue the policyholders because they had spent all the money and were essentially judgment-proof. The Supreme Court of Pennsylvania reversed holdings in favor of Allstate by both the trial court and the appellate court. The Supreme Court held that the issue was not whether there was an assignment, but what type of assignment the parties intended. If the parties had intended an assignment for the purpose of collection, it created a revocable agency relationship. If, on the other hand, it was an assignment for the purpose of security, the assignment was irrevocable once the contract was partially performed. The court, therefore, reversed and remanded so that the intent of the parties could be determined. The Supreme Court concluded that the Eighth Circuit had found a threshold question and one which the trial court and superior court did not address was whether this non-transferable provision was merely intended to make the policy itself non-transferable such that in the event that the property changed ownership or whether it was additionally intended to exclude an assignment of insurance benefits after a loss. If the latter was intended and the provision is enforceable in the post-loss time frame, then the assignment is void and IAB's case would fail. In most jurisdictions, it has been held that a policy may not be assigned but a claim against a policy can be. The lesson for all parties to a public adjuster contract is that while assignments after a loss may be valid, they should be clearly expressed to eliminate any ambiguity about the extent and nature of the interest assigned. Further, if the insured intends to void a contract with a public adjuster, as happened in the IAB case, he or she should do so in accordance with the contract, that is, within 72 hours of signing the contract. Insurers should, before paying an insured without naming the public adjuster on the payment, obtain either the permission of the public adjuster in writing or at least a hold harmless and indemnity agreement from a viable Insured, the IAB litigation could and should have been avoided had permission been obtained. Recent statutes in California and other jurisdictions now require public insurance adjusters to take 12 hours of continuing education, including ethics training, every year to maintain their license. In a Decision not officially published, a California Court of Appeal affirmed a judgment against a public adjuster who, 
It appears the court found failed to take the training required, or perhaps he just chose to blatantly disregard it. In January of 2007, two adjacent residential properties owned by plaintiff Holmes suffered fire damage. Following the fire, Holmes entered into a public adjuster with G.W. Burke and Associates, the name of Burke's unincorporated sole proprietorship. The contract stated Burke's role was to advise and assist in the preparation and adjustment of Holmes' loss. According to Holmes, Burke wrongfully retained a portion of the insurance payments from Holmes' insurer even though Burke was not entitled to a fee because he did not actually negotiate a higher payment over the amount already offered by the insurance company. Holmes' complaint included causes of action for breach of contract, fraud, and breach of fiduciary duty. The jury found Burke liable on all three causes of action, awarded damages of $37,606.41, and found that Burke had acted with malice, oppression, or fraud, and awarded an additional $85,000 in punitive damages in a bifurcated proceeding. Some state courts have been more willing to hold that an insurance adjuster may be liable to the insured under alternative theories. Generally, however, courts reject attempts to impose liability on an insurance adjuster. When a public insurance adjuster exceeds his or her authority and attempts to defraud an insured on behalf of the adjuster's client, the standard concealment or fraud provision precludes the insurers from obtaining any recovery under their policies as the claims submitted by a public insurance adjuster as an agent of the insured were fraudulent. In U.S. v. SADA, a Third Circuit decision from 1999, the government's evidence at trial showed that in 1990, the appellants contacted Ezra Rishti, Isaac's cousin, for help in an insurance fraud scheme. Rishti was a public insurance adjuster in New York City who had conspired with various clients in over 200 fraudulent insurance claims in the past. Rishti agreed to assist Isaac in filing a fraudulent insurance claim and enlisted the help of Morris Beda, a former employee who by then owned his own business. Rishti also enlisted the help of Sal Marcello, a general adjuster for the Chubb Insurance Group, which was Scrimshaw, the insured's insurer. Marcello assured Rishti that Chubb would assign him to handle the future Scrimshaw claim. In Everett Cash Mutual versus Bonnie Sue Gibble, the Court of Common Pleas in Pennsylvania was faced with a motion to exclude expert testimony of Patrick Cassidy, defendant's proposed expert witness. When Mrs. Gibble's furnace submitted suit into her home and the claim made with her homeowner's insurance company was not handled to Ms. Gibble's satisfaction, Ms. Gibble 
sought the assistance of Mr. Cassidy, a public adjuster, and signed a public adjuster contract retaining Cassidy public adjustment to advise and assist in the adjustment of the insurance claim, agreeing to pay a contingent fee comprising a certain percentage of the amount paid by the insurance companies in settlement of the loss and necessary expenses. After making several payments, including one of which it offered as payment in full satisfaction of the claim, defendants refused to accept and plaintiff filed a suit seeking a declaratory judgment that it had fulfilled all of its obligations under the insurance contract. Defendants counterclaimed on breach of contract, negligence, intentional infliction of emotional distress, unfair trade practices, and bad faith, and also joined the adjusters brought in by the insurance company as additional defendants in support of their claim. Defendants planned to introduce the testimony of Mr. Cassidy as an expert witness, and in that regard provided plaintiff with a copy of his report in which he opines that plaintiff and additional defendants did not follow proper claims practice. Gibble, in response, argued that Mr. Cassidy is acting as an expert in his role as a consultant at the rate of $75 an hour and only his work as a public adjuster is subject to the contingency fee agreement. The long-established rule of law that a special contract to pay more than the regular witness fees in ordinary cases is void for want of consideration as being against public policy. Later in U.S. v. Lem, an Eighth Circuit case from 1982, the Eighth Circuit was faced with an arson-for-profit scheme run by a public insurance adjuster. The Eighth Circuit described the scheme as the arson and insurance fraud activities underlying the convictions vary from fire to fire, but a general scenario can be summarized. Eugene P. Gamst, the government's chief witness, was a public insurance adjuster licensed in Minnesota. The government's case showed that at some point in the early 1970s, Gamps began mixing his legitimate adjustment activities with arson, eventually becoming the center of an arson ring alleged to have existed from April 1, 1975 to September 1, 1978. The basic mode of operation was that Gamst or occasionally another co-conspirator would recruit an individual to start an arson fire for insurance proceeds. Gamps would instruct the individual how to start the fire, how to act, and what to tell the authorities. After the fire, Gamps would pose as a legitimate public adjuster of an accidental fire. Occasionally, Gamps would also act as a private contractor and repair the fire damage in order to obtain a larger portion of the insurance proceeds. The roles of the other conspirators included private, providing seed money for the purchase of property, locating property for burning, providing property to be burned, preparing and torching the property and recruiting others to the scheme. Most public insurance adjusters are honest and honorable and follow the requirements of their 
license. Some are not. It is essential to be careful who you retain, and certainly to not participate in the scheme to defraud an insurer. This video was adapted from my book, Zalma on Insurance Claims, Part 103, Second Edition, which is available as a Kindle book and as a paperback from Amazon.com. If you found this video to be useful and of interest, refer it to your colleagues. It's free. And please subscribe to my YouTube channel, my Rumble channel, my blog, so that you can learn about future videos and future blog posts. Thank you for your attention.